Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. Have you ever felt like you just don't have enough? You don't have enough time, you don't have enough energy, you don't have enough patience, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough connections, you, you don't have enough resources to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. Have you ever felt like you just don't have enough? You feel like Jenny Lind from The Greatest Showman, never enough, never, never, right? You're just like, never, there's never enough. There's never a time where it feels like, whoo, I've got more than enough patience. I've got more than enough money. I've got more than enough time to get everything done in one day. We never feel like it's enough. And today, that's exactly what I want to talk to you about. This feeling, this idea, this mentality of never enough. And no one shows that to me more clearly than our two little girls. Because this Christmas, we bought them scooters, which hands down has been the greatest Christmas gift of all time for them. They love the scooters. They want to go out every day. They want to ride on their scooters. They formed like this cul-de-sac gang of scooter riders. It's super cute, but there's also a problem. It's that they never want to stop scootering. They want to scooter every single day for hours and hours and hours. Like seriously, there are days where we're out there for like four hours in an afternoon with them just riding around on a scooter and we just switch out who's watching them and who's cooking dinner and who's working out in the garage. It's like, oh, and every time we have to come in, every single day, it's a fight. No, we want to do it more. And it's like, you have no concept of how long I've been out here with you. And can I just be honest with you? Just like parent honesty. There are plenty of days where I just don't have that in me right? Like, I don't have three hours to dedicate to watching you fall down and get another boo-boo, and you to, to argue over Barbies, and you to destroy the driveway again, playing outside. Like, there's just some days I don't have it in me, and I know we're supposed to let our kids go outside. They're like pets, right? Like, they need outside time. Just kidding. They're not pets, but they do need outside time, and I love that because I grew up being outside constantly, but man, some days I just don't have it in me. And so what's really interesting about our cul-de-sac is the majority of the times, it's actually the dads that are outside with the kids because of the mom's work schedules and all of these different things. And I was telling the guys, I was like, man, my daughters were making me feel bad the other day because I was telling them I just didn't have it in me. I just, I could not go out there for three hours. So I wouldn't let them come outside. And I kind of felt bad, but at the same time, it's like, I was at my limit. I just couldn't do it. And they started laughing. One of them goes, bro, I completely rearranged my daughter's bedroom because there was a piece of furniture she could stand on and look out the window. And the second she saw you guys out there, it was over. She was gonna drive us crazy until she got to go outside. So we rearranged the bedroom so she can't look out the window anymore. And the other dad starts laughing, he's like, there are certain days I hit my limit and I just turn the music as loud as I possibly can because their windows can't see the cul-de-sac, 
but they could hear the kids riding around. And so he's like, I just turn it so loud that they can't hear anything else but what's going on on the TV. He's like, I just don't have it in me. I've hit my limit. I don't have that luxury, and Lauren and I don't, because our girls have direct access. Our living room windows face directly into the cul-de-sac, and our girls are like dogs with their their noses are pressed up against the glass. There's like fog coming out, and they're just like, is anybody outside? Are they coming ever? Right? Like, so we're, we're, just, we're just ruined. We just have to be the mean ones that are like, no, I know you see them out there, but no, we can't do it. It's got to be enough. You've already done stuff today, right? But isn't that true for, for most of us? If we're honest, more times than not, it's never enough. We always feel like there's more being asked of us than we actually have to give, right? There, there's so many moments, maybe for you, it's your boss asks you to do another project at the last minute and you're like, don't you know how stretched I am? Maybe for some of you that are in classes, the teachers are, we're going on spring break and the teachers want to give you a big project for you to work on. It's like, no, you get to take time off. Why don't I get to take time off? Like what's happening here? For some of you, it's your kids. You, they, they are asking for more. They want to be in more sports. They want to be involved in gymnastics. They want to do ballet and gymnastics and soccer. And, and, and you're like, I don't have it in me. I just do not have that. Maybe for some of you, it's your bank account. Your bank account is the one that reminds you that you don't have enough. Every time you want to go do something fun, every time that you want to take that vacation, every time you think you could splurge on something, there's your bank account going, uh-uh-uh, adulting is not fun. Adulting is not fun. You can't do that. Eh, eh, eh. No spending, right? Like, it just feels so many times in our life that we never have enough. Look at this truth. The problem, the problem is that we spend the majority of our time highlighting what we don't have. It becomes this habit for us. It becomes this mindset for us. And while in many ways it's a reality, when we spend so much of our time just highlighting what we don't have, it makes it really difficult for us to appreciate and recognize what we actually do have. When we're constantly highlighting how we don't have energy, we don't have time, we don't have resources. We don't have finances. We don't have, we don't have, we don't have. It just becomes this mindset that all we can see, all we can focus on is what we don't have. And one of my favorite aspects of the Bible is that we get to see real life people dealing with real life experiences that we did. Now, granted, it's thousands of years in the past, but we get to see how it happens. And my favorite is when it happens in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, the back half of the Bible. Because then we get to see Jesus in action when people are dealing with real life things. And so our story today is actually all four of the Gospels give us an eyewitness account of this event, this miracle that happens. But today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Jesus 
had told them, he said, hey, I'm, I'm giving you power. I want you to go out. I want you to, to witness to people. I want you to heal people. I want you to do miracles. I want you to do this incredible stuff. Go out, and then when you're done, come back out. Come back to me. And so this is, they're coming back exhausted. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Yes, Lord. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Don't miss that Jesus acknowledged how exhausted they were. They'd been traveling and ministering and doing all of this stuff, and it's all great stuff, but they were depleted. They were exhausted. They were hungry. They just needed some time. But as usual, that isn't going to be how it works out. Verse 32, so they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But, verse 33, there's always a but, right? Many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And the people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. You can imagine as they're pulling up on the boat how furious they are. Like, come on, we just wanted to go to a quiet place. How did you guys find us? Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Let's send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus says, you feed them. Excuse me? With what? They asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. The disciples, they're tired, they're hungry, they're depleted. They're in, they're supposed to be on this like remote area where they can just rest and be there. They've been working all day now, listening to Jesus teach and serving people and praying for people and doing all that. They're exhausted and they go, Jesus, we're out in the middle of nowhere, dude. Let's just send them away so they can go and get food that they need from local farmers. Like, like, like just, it's done. Your preaching's good. Let's let them go. We're tired. You're tired. Let's have something to eat. And Jesus goes, no, don't send them away. You feed them. And I can imagine, I can imagine the disciples in their minds, they're thinking, say, bro, you know we're tired. You know good and well, we don't have the food nor the money. You know how much money we have in the account. We don't have money like that, nor the time or the energy to feed them. What are you talking about? Us feed them. You feed them. What, what, what do you mean? Look at this truth. Our inadequacies should highlight our need to depend on God rather than ourselves. Jesus was presenting a moment to him. And in these verses, he's presenting an opportunity. He wasn't asking them to dig deeper into themselves. He wasn't asking them to, to pull out their wallets. He wasn't asking them to tap more into who you are and push past how exhausted you are. He was inviting them to depend on him. He was inviting them to something greater. Listen, you will always get to the place in your life where you feel overwhelmed. You will always get to a place in your life where you feel like your inadequacies are so much greater than what's in front of you. You will always feel 
at some point in your life, like you're under-resourced, that's not the problem. The problem comes with what we do with that moment, what we do with those feelings, what we do in those seasons of our life when we feel overwhelmed and under-resourced and overworked and just completely spent. You've left everything out on the field and you have nothing left to give. It's in those moments that we have an important choice. A lot of times what happens with people is, is when they hit that point, they become victims of their problem. They begin to look at themselves as, well, look what everyone's doing to me. Look, what, look at what's happening to me, how I'm being treated, how I'm not being affirmed, how I'm not being validated. Look at all of, and, and you become, maybe for some of you, you just become a victim of what's happening in your life. But remember, Jesus is inviting you to something. Maybe for some of you, you just lash out when you're tired, when you're wiped out, when you have nothing left to give, when you feel like you don't have enough. You just get riled up and you just lash out at the people closest to you. You lash out at your boss. You lash out at the coworker. You lash out at that intern. You lash out at the other guys that are in your, in your troop. They, you, you just go crazy because you don't have anything left to give. Maybe for some of you, what you do is you just internalize it all. You just feel it. You try to keep the outside. I'm good. Everything's good. By God, yes, it's wonderful. But on the inside, you're trembling. You're exhausted. You're overwhelmed. You're under-resourced. You feel like you have nothing left to give, and it's just bubbling below the surface. And what happens is, is many times for those of you who internalize it, you push everyone away and you begin to subconsciously isolate yourself from everybody else. Which one are you? Every one of us has a different response to those moments. But the answer is really clear what we do, but we have to understand and recognize within ourselves when we get to those places, what do we actually do? I think about it this way, like, have you ever known someone or are you that someone that gets hangry? Have you ever gotten hangry? If you don't know what hangry is, I've made up a definition and I feel like it's a pretty good one. I'm just going to be honest with you. Being hangry is a sudden onslaught of emotions directly correlated to hunger. I feel like that's pretty good. I didn't even look at a book. I'm just telling you, I just made it up. But I can describe it because I get hangry. And what's interesting in our house is that we all have a different version of hangry that happens. For me and my mom, when we get hangry, we just go silent. It's like zero dark 30, we're not saying anything, it's over, like we're gonna get food, don't get in my way, somebody will get hurt. But it's just, it's just this silent, don't talk to me, don't look at me, don't. On the other hand, Lauren, when she gets hangry, she gets the shakes and she just like scrambles. She's just like running around like a chicken with her head cut off trying to get a charcuterie board put together. And she's just like, and she's dropping stuff everywhere. And I'm like, babe, what is going on? I'm just hungry, I'm just getting, I'm shaking. I'm like, okay, okay, calm down, calm down. Somebody get her something to eat, right? Brooklyn, our oldest daughter, Oh, she just goes into a glass cage of emotions. It's just tears and yelling and meltdowns and tantrums and it's just oh, it's just over the top. 
about every little thing. And I, I can't even reenact because I don't want to put it on camera. It's just like a crazy moment of just raw floods of emotion. And then Audrey, our youngest, if you're familiar with her, she's, she's one of a kind. Audrey just beats people until somebody gives her some fancy cheese. You will get beat with anything within arm's distance of that little four-year-old. Somebody's getting swiped up with some kind of stick or beat until she gets food. But each of us has a different response to that moment. And in the story, we see each of them kind of dealing with their own battles with it. And in one of the other gospels, we see the, the disciples look at Jesus and we saw in, in Mark where it's like it would take months. But in the other versions, it explains how, how deep and how huge of a request this was of Jesus. One of the guys looks at him. He says, Jesus, it would take eight months of salary to pay this. To, pay, to feed all these people, it would take eight months of salary. You're not just asking us a simple, oh, well, you go feed them. Who has money like that? Who has eight months of salary to drop on one meal? Jesus, we don't have that. What's interesting is Jesus was inviting them to trust him, to lean into him. And the first thing that they did is they looked at their wallet. Have you ever been there before? Has Jesus asked something of you? And the first thing you do is go, I don't have enough money for that. I can't do that. Jesus is inviting us to lean on him, not to lean on what we have, what we have in our bank accounts, what we, what we think we can do. He's inviting us to lean on him. Jesus, I love this. Jesus flips the script on them. And he asked them an important question that's important for you and I to evaluate as well. John 6 and verse 38, he says, okay, how much bread do you have? Go and find out. How much bread do you have? In other words, what do you have left? What do you have left? And you know what? It's the same question that Jesus is asking you and I today. He's asking us, hey, what do you have left? What do you have left to give to your marriage? What do you have left to give to your job that doesn't fulfill you? What do you have left to give me so you can live out your purpose? What do you have left in the tank? What do you have right now, currently. Get your eyes off of all the things you don't have. Well, Jesus, if I could have, if I had this, if my bank account looked that way, if I had this gift, if I had this connection, if I, Jesus like, whoa, 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 whoa. What have I given you already? What do you have? Go and find out. And some of you, Jesus is challenging you today to go back and inventory the blessings that he has put in your life. He's asking you to go and inventory the way that he has provided for you, to look at your life and go, okay, wait a minute. I may not have all of these things, but let me just take a breath and look at what I do have. What do I have to give? You see, the miracle, the miracle begins to happen and we see it play out in, in the Gospel of John 
where we see where this little bit that was left was actually found. In John 6, verse 8, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And he said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? And I wonder how many of you, that's what you tell God when he asks you to do something. When he calls out something in you. God, all I have is this, but what good is that? What good is that in your kingdom? What good is, is that in my marriage? What good is that in my parenting? What good is that in my finance? Like, what good would this bring? And Jesus, seeing the five loaves of bread and the two fish goes, that's all I need. That's all I need. Jesus is telling you right now today, what you have is more than enough. But it starts with us recognizing what we do have in our hands to give him. I believe there's two really important truths that we're gonna see in this story. And the first one is this. Jesus didn't bypass the meager, he multiplied it. Jesus didn't see this meager offering of a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish in the face of thousands of people. Jesus saw what they had and he multiplied it. And I think so many times what we spend our energy doing is going, well, Jesus, I don't have anything to give you. I don't have enough. All I have is this. The only thing that I can do is this. Think about it in your relationship with him. Well, Jesus, my, my schedule was crazy. I could only read my Bible for like five minutes. And he's like, well, start with that and watch how all of a sudden I can multiply it. Well, I, I can't really do anything great for you because, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out. I'm still dealing with struggles. I'm still dealing with, with my insecurity. I'm saying, Jesus goes, oh, I'm not worried about all that. Give me your only and watch what I can do with it. Listen, the enemy of your soul, look at this truth. The enemy convinces us to believe the inadequacy lie. He tries to convince us to believe that because you're inadequate, you don't need to try at all. Just because you don't have enough, just because you don't have all of the answers, just because you don't have the whole game plan, just because you don't have this perfect faith, just because you don't have zero doubts, just because you don't have enough money to complete the whole thing. The enemy whispers to us, well, if you don't have enough, just settle for less. Just settle for less. I mean, it's obvious you don't have what it takes. You obviously don't have what you need. Just, just settle for less than what God is doing. But what happens in our lives is when we settle for less, discontentment comes in and it, it settles in our hearts and it disrupts our mind. Discontentment will come in and cause everything in our life to be painted with what we don't have. Be painted by, well, I only have, right? What, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever gone through a moment like that where something good happens in your life because you're so discontent in this other area? It just really doesn't matter. 
right? It just, maybe at home, there, there's like your discontent in your marriage and it's just been on the struggle bus and, you know, you guys aren't heading towards divorce, but you're just distant and it feels off and it's just like, no matter what good happens, it just doesn't matter because this is off. And what the enemy of your soul and the enemy of your purpose wants to do is to just keep slipping in as much discontentment as he possibly can. Because the more discontent you are, the less ready you are to see what blessings you do have in your life. It's why we see so much talked about about gratitude in the Bible, that that attitude of gratitude, that heart of gratitude, of, of recognizing what we have, it pushes out the power of discontentment in our life. I love the Apostle Paul. He talks about how he had this struggle with this weakness and he begged God to take it away because he felt like it was holding him back from completely being able to live out his mission. Again, this is the Apostle Paul who accomplished so much and he's still like, Jesus, if you just take this one thing away, if you just fix this, if you just help me in this one struggle that I'm having, then it, it, we'll just see it explode. And look what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Each time, he said, this is the Lord speaking to Paul, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Some of you need to understand that you feel weak, you feel overwhelmed, you feel under-resourced, you feel like you're overworked and you're under-respected for what you do. Jesus would tell you, in those moments of weakness is where my strength is the greatest. The enemy of your soul wants you to believe because you're weak in this moment, because you feel weak and inadequate and insecure and you're struggling, that God can't do anything in your life. And that could not be further from the truth. Jesus is saying, in your weakness, I am made strong. So come and lean on me. Understand that your weakness doesn't prevent you from reaching your potential. Your weakness is an open door for me to reveal my strength through you. Do not believe the inadequacy lie that because I'm inadequate, because I don't have this, then Jesus can't do something through my life. It's just not true. The second thing is this, and this is, this is a really powerful truth that we have to understand, and this is one that I, just transparently, this is one that I battle with. And this is this, look at it on the screen. If God didn't give it, you don't need it in this season. If God didn't give it to you, you don't need it in this season. I can't tell you how many times in my life I tell God, well, if you just give me this, then I'll be able to accomplish that. God's like, mm, no, you have everything you need right now. Listen to me, church. You have everything you need right now to begin to step into your purpose. You do not have to believe that you're stuck in some waiting room, just waiting for the perfect moment, the perfect situation, the perfect time to come along, the perfect resource 
God doesn't need any of that. What you have in your hand, what you have in your life, what you have right now in this moment is more than enough for you to begin stepping into your purpose. But what about this and this and this and that? You have what you need in this moment. It just requires you to refocus and recalibrate and to lean into your heavenly Father. To take what you have and begin. And listen, I promise you what he's proven to me time and time and time and time again is that as I'm going in the direction, as I'm stepping into my purpose, the moment that I need something else, he provides. Time after time after time. You and I spend so much of our life waiting for God to put all the pieces on the table and God goes, no, I gave you one. Put it into place. Now I gave you two. Now I gave you three. He says that he's a, he's a lamp to our feet. A lamp is not a spotlight that shoots 10 years ahead of us. He wants us to depend on him. Understand, guys, his whole plan all along was to be in relationship with us. He doesn't want to go, here's all the stuff that you need. I'll see you in 10 years. He wants to be a part of your everyday life. So take the steps that you have because you have what you need right now to begin to live out your purpose. You just have to lean into it. You just have to start. Let's see how our story wraps up in John 6, verse 38. How much bread do you have? Go and find out. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples, have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up towards heaven and blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. It's unbelievable. Just this unbelievable story of, of how Jesus could do the absolute miraculous. But it wasn't just about the 5,000. It was Jesus letting them know, hey guys, this isn't on you. This isn't dependent on you providing all of it. This whole point was for you to understand that what you give me, the meager that you give me, I can multiply it. Your faith in me, your trust that I can take what you have and do something great with it is far more important than the fact that I fed 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people with some bread. Listen, do you believe that Jesus suffered the cross, faced off with death, carried the weight of our sin, just so that you could hang your head and believe that you're incapable of doing anything worth anything in life. Do you think that Jesus went through all of that so we can hang our heads and feel like we're inadequate to be able to accomplish anything for him? No. 
Jesus went through all of that because he's, he's calling you to stop surviving what God has called you to conquer. Guys, he didn't provide this life for us. He doesn't, he doesn't have breath in our lungs so we can just survive, so we can just hope that we can make it, so we can just go, oh man, if I can just make it through Tuesday. No, God has called us to conquer, to step and live with authority and power. He wants to take what little you have and multiply it. He wants to take your weaknesses and prove his strength through it. He wants you to conquer the life that's in front of you. Jesus said he came to give us life and life abundantly, not life that's overwhelmed and dispassionate and and unassuming about what can happen through our lives. He did not call us to settle for this life that is below our calling, is below our purpose. God has called you to greatness, not greatness in your name, but greatness in raising up his fame. He's called you to do something incredible with your life, and you and I settle for survival. We settle for just making it. You're invited into an adventure. You're invited into a journey. Is the journey always pretty? Is the journey always easy? Is it always roses and honeybees and butterflies everywhere? Not a chance. But he's called you to a life of purpose, of passion, and of potential. Not a life of surviving through the week, surviving through this month, surviving through this season. He wants to do something in and through your life. It reminds me so much of the famous Old Testament story of of David and Goliath. David only had, all he had to give, all he had to fight was a slingshot and five stones. And it only took the one stone to knock out Goliath. But the stone isn't what killed Goliath. I don't know if you realize that. We just stopped there for the kids because what happens afterwards is a little messy. But look in 1 Samuel 17, verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. But then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. My favorite part about David he was, he was a boss. He starts, he rolls in Jerusalem holding up the head. He's just like, what up? Look who I got, right? But the beauty of this moment, don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this. Listen, the beauty of this moment was this. The thing that was meant to destroy David was the thing that God used to give him total victory. What was meant to destroy David, what his enemy meant to use to to snuff out his life, to embarrass him, to call out and and just make people believe that God couldn't do anything. He He was insulting God. He was insulting Israel. He was insulting David. He was braggadocious in the way that he felt like he was going to absolutely destroy David. But the thing that Goliath thought he would use to kill David is the thing that God used to kill Goliath. And in your life, you have to understand that the enemy of your soul 
is loudly trying to proclaim that God is not strong enough to handle what's going on in your life. God's not big enough to take what you have and do something great with it. The enemy is wanting to destroy you. Listen, what seems like an inadequacy in your life, what, what seems like a failure that you're still paying for, what seems like an undeserved struggle, what feels like an overwhelming pain, what the enemy is trying to use to destroy you, God will use to bring you ultimate and total victory. You have got to get to a place where you stop believing the lie. What is happening to you in your life, those pains, those struggles, those heartbreaks, God will take those things and turn it around for good. He will use it, but it requires us to take what little we have and lean into him. It requires us to give it to him. Just like Jesus used what seemed useless and minuscule in the face of thousands of hungry people, God will take what little you have and multiply it. God will take what feels like a weakness in your, your soul, in your personality, your weakness in the season. God will use that to prove his might. He will do something that you never saw coming. It will be the twist in the story that you never saw coming. What felt like a weakness in my life so many times, what felt like an area of inadequacy, what felt like something that would hold me back from my potential. I have watched God use it time and time again to open up doors that only he could. You have to just stop believing the lies that come from the enemy. I wonder how many of us need to remind ourselves of what God is wanting to do. Remind us that when the lies try to speak louder than the truth, we can remind ourselves and look back at our life at the moments that God showed up. Remind yourself of those moments where you felt like this is the end. There's nothing the good that can come from it and God turned it around. Can you remember the answered prayers? Can you remember his faithfulness? Can you remember the times that he has given you exactly what you needed, exactly when you needed it? Can you remember those moments? Listen, this is your challenge today. What is the inadequacy lie that is holding you back from your purpose? You've got to discover what that lie is. What is the thing that you're believing from the enemy that's holding you back from stepping fully into your purpose? Is it a lie that you don't have enough? Is it the lie that you're far too weak in the season? Is it the lie that God can't ever fix what you messed up? Is it the lie that, that you can't do anything greater than where you currently are? Is it the lie that no one sees you, no one recognizes you, no one thinks you have value? What is the lie that you're believing that's holding you back from stepping into your purpose? Guys, listen to me. Right now in this moment, you have the opportunity to cut off those lies, to stop believing them, and to be able to say, God, all I have is this. 
God, all I have is this little bit of energy left. All I have is this little bit of resource. All I have is this little bit of talent. All I have is this little bit of, of money. God, this is all that I have, but I believe you can do something great with it. So God, would you prove yourself strong? Would you pray that prayer with me today? Come on, right now, right where you are, Jesus. Jesus, you took a, took a little boy's Lunchable and you fed thousands of people. That story in and of itself is so ridiculous and so mind-blowing and it's such a moment that we didn't see coming. But Jesus, what I love is what it represents is that you will take the little that we have you would take the only that we feel like we have. You would take what feels like inadequacies. You would take our weaknesses and you will use them for your glory. So God, I pray right now for everyone who's hearing this, everyone that hears this message, God, right now, right where they are, that your presence would just wrap around them, that they would feel you so close to them, that you would remind them of the truth and that you would give them the courage to shut down the lies. Remind them of the times you've shown up. Remind them of the answered prayer. Remind them of your faithfulness time and time again. And God, as your sons and as your daughters, we lean into your chest. We lean into your love. We lean into your grace that is more than sufficient, that is overwhelming, that will take whatever we feel like we cannot give to it. God, you can multiply the little we have. And God, I believe you're gonna do incredible and mighty things through our lives as we understand and as we rely on who you are. Jesus, we pray all of this in your strong and your mighty name. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.